A lot of times the way that we think about church, even these structures we, we're talking about, we are borrowing blueprints from two, three, four hundred years ago, and we're updating them, but we're not really going back down to first principles and considering what are the things that may need to be rebuilt from the bottom up. What are things that are just, they, they just don't work anymore. Uh, or they don't, they work uh, in a very specific way, but they won't work for this kind of disciple-making movement or any kind of explosive multiplying movement of the Holy Spirit. And so because we have these structural issues, but we don't have access to the blueprint or we're committed to obsolete blueprints, we can't fix the problems. Uh, And so this commitment to old obsolete blueprints has been a major structural problem for the church. Welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast, where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode, you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode was taken from one of our coaching intensives called A House for Community, where we provide households with personal coaching for how to build a community and turn your home into a hub for community relationships. So if you're interested in learning more about A Thousand Houses or checking out some of our other resources, visit 1kh.org. Let's jump into today's episode. We'd like to take some time and really dive into the nature of the problem and understand it at a deeper level. And one of the ways that I found helpful to understand this problem is to see what's happening overseas in what's called the DMM movement. That is the disciple-making movement. And missiologists have defined a disciple-making movement as a movement that has three elements in common, 100 churches to the fourth generation and under three years. Now imagine seeing that happen in a city that you live in, 100 new churches that are going to the fourth generation in under three years. By fourth generation, what we mean by that is that if you look at the the movement itself, those initial churches or those initial groups, they have planted a group that's planted a group that's planted a group. That's fourth generation out. So it's not that one person's running around planting a hundred different churches, it's that the movement itself is multiplying, that the DNA of the movement is inside of each church, and so they're each able to multiply to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation. But they consider it a disciple-making movement once it hits those three basic, uh, those basic milestones, 100 churches to the fourth generation under three years. Now, missiologists are telling us that there are over 1,000 disciple-making movements as we speak erupting around the world. These are happening in China, in India, in Africa, in South America, basically everywhere in the world except for where we live. And this is the reason why it's really important that we understand what is getting in the way of us experiencing this kind of explosion in the kingdom. A lot of these movements are happening so fast, missiologists are comparing what's going on to in many of these countries to what happened in the book of Acts and the speed of many of these movements actually surpasses, far surpasses what we see in Acts with what Paul was doing running around the Roman world in the first century. And so it's not that there isn't structures that multiply, that bring the kingdom in amazing, powerful ways. It's that there's things in the West that sort of get in the way. There's so much friction uh, in our environment. And so we want to understand what is going on there? Because if we, if we can really understand it, maybe we can see a breakout of one of these movements. And what we've been looking for is anywhere in the Western world or in America where this might be starting to happen. We see glimmers of it, but we don't see any movements quite 
like what I just described that's happening in many, many places overseas. So let's dive into what uh, is behind some of these uh, problems that, that these sort of things that are getting in the way of, of us seeing these movements. So I'm going to talk uh, in this about in, in two different sections. One is cultural diseases. These are things that are happening culture-wide in the West. And these particular issues oftentimes are what is getting in the way of these kinds of explosive movements. And then we're going to look at structural issues within the, the way that church is designed in the West. And so first of all, cultural diseases. There's five I'm going to point out that are really big in our culture. One is a disease of hyper-individualism. This is the idea that I'm at the center of my own story. So most non-Western cultures live and think about themselves as a small part of a larger story. They live in a little bit more of a collectivist lens. And so it's easier for them to get involved in things that look like and are beginning to move like great movements. But for us, we are always asking, what's in it for me as an individual? And so we, we tend to resist things that are movement-like in this way. And so because of that culture of hyper-individualism we live in, it makes these kinds of movements difficult. Another uh, cultural disease that we experience is isolationism. So we, because of our wealth, we live in incredible isolation. In most places in other parts of the world, there is a assumption that you have to live in community. You have to live in community just to survive in most places. But in our culture, we can survive. We can you know, have all the food we want. We have our TV. We have our isolated house. And so many people live their lives out outside of a network of, of strong relationships. And that, that really makes movements difficult because movements tend to, to uh, move along the, the lines of the intimate relationships or the network of relationships that you have. So if those relationships are fragmented or if every other person that you meet is kind of a dead end in terms of their ability to spread what you're giving them, then that can make movements very difficult. So that's one of the challenges that we face. A third challenge is consumerism. Our, our ability to purchase things and to think of ourselves from an identity perspective as somebody who consumes things, this has made uh, the spread of the gospel very difficult. In fact, in India, where we see lots of these disciple-making movements erupting, uh, one, of the, one of the movement leaders that we talked to said that when they go into a village and they see satellite dishes and blue jeans, uh, they immediately move to the next village because consumerism, Western consumerism, has so taken over that village, they've discovered that when they go in and try to to really initiate a movement, it doesn't tend to take off. There's something really destructive about the nature of consumerism, asking constantly what's in it for me that makes it very difficult for people to, to embrace and further the movement. Another thing that we have in our culture is anti-authority. A lot of cultures tend to understand that if you're a part of a larger group or a movement, there needs to be a, a deference to authority. Also, in the whole language of what it means to be a disciple-making movement, what you're trying to do is help people become obedient disciples of Jesus. In fact, obedience-based discipleship is at the core of almost every DMM around the world. But when you go to Western places and talk about obedience-based discipleship, people immediately see red flags because we have a basic anti-authority bias. We know there are dangerous abuses of power, but we've, been, we've heard those stories so often, and that so deeply offends our individualism that we've created an anti-authority culture that makes obedience-based discipleship very difficult, and that, that also makes movements uh, really stifled here in our culture. And the last one we'll talk about, and the one that I think affects us the most that I see, is busyness, just the sheer busyness. When you go overseas and see these DMMs and people begin to discover the incredible beauty of the gospel, 
they get so excited and they do have a, a bit of margin in their lives. They're not, they're not completely overscheduled, but we tend to be so overscheduled. We, we have so many options and this is again, really the result of our, of our wealth. We have entertainment options, eating options, hobby options, work options, family obligations, and we view time in such a precious way that it's so it's really difficult for us to just immediately dedicate 5, 10, 15, 20 hours a week to a movement, even if we think this is the most important thing in the world. It's really difficult to see that happen at, at large scale. And so these are cultural problems, or I'm just calling this cultural diseases that have sort of infected us. They don't, they haven't infected everybody. They're not, but they are a big problem. And we have to be aware and understand as we're designing structures, as we talk through how to do this in this culture, we're constantly needing to be aware of how do we sort of overcome these cultural defeaters that stand in the way of movement. Um, another way to understand the problem is to look at structural issues. And when I talk about structural issues, these are issues that are the way in which people instinctually think churches are built or ought to be built or have been built in the past, or the way that what they think of when they think of church, that can oftentimes get in the way of the way that we can see a movement taking off. So the first one is that there is an understanding in our culture that Christianity is a very, very low bar. And so that what that means is what it means to be a Christian uh, can look as simple as come to a worship service twice a month and you're doing more than half the people that are even a part of this church. That's a very low bar. Churches, some of have raised the bar to say, no, we expect you to be here every week and be part of a small group and serve in a ministry. But even if you look at how many people are doing all three of those things, it tends to be you know, less than 20% of the whole congregation. Compare that to a place like China, where immediately when you become a believer, you are in danger of going to prison and losing everything you own and seeing your family um, be abused. I mean, these are serious, serious threats. Uh, and this is true in many countries around the world. So they have a very high bar. And so it becomes when they're considering coming to faith and they choose to come to faith, they tend to give their whole life to the movement because it, it's going to cost them so much. And they've decided that, that this gospel is worthy of giving their whole lives. But when we tell people, hey, it's awesome that you've, you know, you've come to church two or three times this month. You know, you're, you're, you're one of our core people. That, that just lowering the bar to that, that extent, that's a structural problem that makes movement very, very difficult in our culture. A second structural problem is professional Christianity. This is another issue that really stems from our ability to purchase through our enormous wealth, whatever kinds of services we want to exist in the church without having to personally volunteer. So in much poorer cultures, they have to build structures that rely heavily on volunteers for everything, for teaching, for baptism, for discipleship, for every element. But in our culture, we tend, even, even when we really try hard to, to uh, bring more volunteers, to get more and more people involved, it tends to be um, really ancillary to the core things that must be done by the professionals, by the people who are going to be expected to do things uh, consistently at an excellent level every single time. And so to rely on volunteers to do that kind of thing is really difficult uh, in our culture because the next church can afford to pay professionals to make sure those things are maintained even, even more, uh, even at a higher level. And because of that, it's really difficult for us structurally to create a movement that says we're all equally important uh, to the body and we all need to engage in this mission at the same level. Uh, we tend to have this huge divide between people who are paid and who are not paid. And that's a structural problem. 
A third issue that happens, that's a structural issue that we're, we're facing, is the fracturing of the household. So in other cultures, oftentimes people live in extended family households uh, because, again, this is something critical for them just to really uh, get to a place of, of consistent survival. So you have to really rely on your parents, grandparents, children. And so there tends to be a larger extended family unit that lives its life uh, together and is constantly working together to do productive things to keep the family afloat. Uh, in our culture, we have nuclear families that even at that level are fracturing. We don't tend to live in larger extended family units. Now, this is a big problem as we go on and we'll uh, give more thoughts around this idea itself. But if you think about what actually constitutes much of the nodes of the movement in many of these disciple-making movements, uh, there are households that are led by people of peace, and these households can dedicate themselves as centers of mission and ministry. They're, they turn into these kind of churches. And this we know is part of what was going on in the first century when Paul talked about the different oikoses or the church that meets in this person's house. And so there, the ability to see an explosive movement um, was possible because all of the nodes of the network already existed in these households. You just had to seed the gospel into them and it would explode. What happens in our culture is you seed the gospel into families and you immediately bump into very fractured families that even the ones who are most strong and most intact aren't used to creating uh, or bearing the weight of a lot of the productive work. They're used to offloading that into church structures or into other structures. And so because of that, there's not a multiplying sort of a network from which you can sort of seed the gospel that exists or pre-exists. Um, so that's very difficult. A fourth structural issue is just plain prayerlessness. And we're going to talk about that every single major movement of God is preceded by uh, a really uh, dynamic uh, commitment to prayer. And so because, again, uh, there's a, such a sense of kind of consumerism in our culture. Prayer is, is a lot of work. You don't immediately see the results. And so you don't see a culture of prayer uh, easily created inside of our current structures. Because we're, again, it's really compared to or, or related to keeping that bar at a very low level. Um, we're really struggling to get people to commit to three or four things at a time. And so adding more things like discipleship or prayer onto that already uh, difficult schedule becomes something that we oftentimes just can't get everyone to buy into. And because of that, there's just prayerlessness. And without prayer, you don't see movements of God, uh, really, those kind of explosive movements. And the fifth one, one we're going to dive into in a lot of detail uh, in a bit, is obsolete blueprints. So a lot of times the way that we think about church, even these structures we, we're talking about, we are borrowing blueprints from two, three, four hundred years ago, and we're updating them, but we're not really going back down to first principles and considering what are the things that may need to be rebuilt from the bottom up. What are things that are just, they, they just don't work anymore. Uh, or they don't, they work uh, in a very specific way, but they won't work for this kind of disciple-making movement or any kind of explosive multiplying movement of the Holy Spirit. And so because we have these structural issues, but we don't have access to the blueprint or we're committed to obsolete blueprints, we can't fix the problems. Uh, and so this commitment to old obsolete blueprints has been a major structural problem for the church. So all this to say, we are very much interested in trying to figure out how do we overcome these things. And one of the things we're doing at 1KH is we're, we're looking everywhere in the country, anywhere we can find uh, the beginnings, beginnings of disciple-making movement. I haven't seen the kind of disciple-making movement that is planted 100 
churches or groups to the fourth generation in under three years, the kind of thing we're seeing overseas. Um, but we are seeing the beginnings of lots and lots of different people and groups that are really interested in this problem, that have studied what's going on overseas, and we're all collaborating. I want to give you guys just a few examples of groups that we're always tracking with and learning from and listening to. Um, there's We Are Church, which was started by Francis Chan. Soma Communities, that's out of Seattle, uh, with Jeff Vanderstel and Cesar, Cesar Kalinowski. The KC Underground, we've been, we're going to be uh, seeding some of their content in, into these courses. Um, 3DM, we're close to, to them. Paul McConaughey, who's, who's now the head of that, um, they came out of Sheffield and now have uh, some places in the U.S. that they're really operating out of. Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Underground, which is a very uh, unique kind of church expression that we're paying a lot of attention to. Experience Life out of uh, Lubbock, Texas with Chris Galanos. These are just examples. There are so many people thinking about this problem. And the problem, and, and if you heard everything that I've said, these 10 issues, the five cultural and five structural issues, which are by no means exhaustive of, of the levels of the, the varieties of issues we're trying to solve, it's, it's really serious to try to solve this problem. One of the reasons why I really think it's important to, to grapple with this, for every single person listening to this to grapple with this, is your expectations for the challenge we're facing need to be proper, properly calibrated. We're not going to be able to hand you a blueprint and say, oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to see this amazing, explosive disciple-making movement uh, in no time. No, it's going to be challenging. We're going to be constantly working and collaborating and coaching to try to figure out how to tweak this in such a way that really does work in this culture, despite all of these structural and cultural issues. We believe it's possible. We believe that we must do it. We have to see this for the kingdom to advance in our place, in our country, or in our cultures. Uh, so we, we want to be able to do this, but our expectations have to be that we're going to have to collaborate with lots of different people. We have to be very patient. We have to be incredibly persistent. Uh, we have to be uh, very resilient if we hit snags, hit failures, uh, need to kind of restart or reboot things. Like we have to be prepared for those things. And so all this to say, the language that I like to begin this kind of uh, engagement with is, are you simply willing to join an experiment? Does, it, does the kingdom of God, the way that Jesus wanted to see it emerge on the earth, does the, the, the need for disciple-making movements to be launched and multiplied throughout our cultures, is that sufficient to warrant um, doing something that is risky? Like you could join an experiment that turns out really to struggle. Uh, is it worth it? Is seeing the glory of God manifested through this kind of expression of the kingdom, is it worth it to you? And this is what many of us have had to decide because the old blueprints that have all the structural issues, uh, that have already taken into consideration all the cultural problems, those exist and they're doing good work and there's good fruit coming out of those churches. Um, however, we want to see a different kind of fruit. We want to see the kind of fruit that they saw in the New Testament. We want, we want to see the kind of fruit that we see exploding all over the, all over the world. Um, and so if you're one of those people who are willing to put a lot of effort and thought and prayer and intentionality into what could be pretty much an experimental uh, thing that could, could struggle over time and will struggle uh, as you guys try to figure it out, as we try to figure it out together, then we want you guys to join us. Uh, but we, we want to make sure that your expectations are dialed in. This is, this is an experiment. We can't point to a single place in this country where we're seeing a disciple-making movement happen the way that it's happening in other countries. Um, but we are absolutely committed, us with a lot of other partners around the country, to seeing this happen in our, in our, in our context. And we want to invite you to join us. But as we invite you to join us, we want you to be aware. These obstacles are big, but our God is bigger. We believe we can overcome these obstacles. But 
This is something that we really need to be committed to, to see it all the way through. Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If this teaching stirred something in you and you and your family are sensing any kind of calling or a pool to maybe go down this path in community, we'd love to be a resource to you as you explore this. So if that's you, we want to invite you to join our coaching intensive called A House for Community, where we're going to combine online content and personal coaching for you to provide you with the teaching and the tools and definitely the encouragement that you're going to need to see your home become a house for healthy kingdom relationships. For more information and to apply for this coaching intensive, go to 1kh.org slash community coaching. We'll see you guys for the next episode.